welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, the radio chick, Annie Ubellis. Join Annie on Tuesdays and Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time with an open chat room full of her regulars. And yes, you can even call in. Call 917-889-3675. That's 917-889-3675 to be a part of the action on the phone line. Not able to listen live? Not a problem. You can always catch Annie, the radio chick, and Southern Sense Talk Radio podcast in archives at southern-sense.com. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Southern Sense the right way. When an emergency strikes, what's your first impulse? If your answer is run to the grocery store, you're likely to find chaos and plenty of empty shelves. So how do you avoid this? Well, it's simple. You use today to make a plan, to prepare for things that may happen. It's a hurricane, earthquake, blizzard, or even social unrest, especially in today's political environment. The practical place to start is by storing up food in your home. And I use my Patriot Supply for my food storage. If you don't have an emergency food supply, it's time to do so. Here's a great item that makes it really simple. A two-week food kit that comes in a rugged tote. And it's only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsouthernsense.com, or call 888-441-7290. This food kit includes breakfast, lunch, and dinners that will last up to 25 years on your storage shelves. So order now and prepare yourself, and then rest easy. So it's very simple. Just call 888-441-7290 or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show, and it's called Southern Sense, and you know you put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com, and click on the icon for My Patriot Food. Well, if you want to insist, you can still go to 888-441-7290 or go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Be prepared. Find out the colors of you. I see I'm through and boy, I- Welcome back to another adventure on Southern Sense. Of course, my first show back in a long time, and of course, I already screwed up. You're listening to Southern Sense Live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Facebook, YouTube, all the heifer that goes to the name of the show. Port of Dash the Middle, Southern-Sense.com. I'm your hostess with the mostest, the radio chick, Annie. 
And this is a special broadcast. I know that uh, normally we broadcast on Tuesdays and Fridays, but we're going to be doing a little switch up uh, as we go back into getting back into full gear, which will happen on February 1st. February 1st will be our first official official day back, but we may have a special uh, show in between. Oh, by the way, I'm the hostess with the hostess, the radio chick, Annie, and Curtis is not with me today, which is why I'm screwing up left and right. Anyway, I want to welcome everyone that's listening in on Facebook, YouTube, and here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, We've got a special guest in today. Uh, He's got a new book out called Robert Mueller, Aaron Boy for the New World Order. And it's by author John Milkovich. And I spoke to his wife earlier today, and she's such a lovely lady. He's right now in court taking depositions, so hopefully he'll be able to join us real soon. Uh, He is a state senator out of Louisiana. And believe it or not, I went to his re-election website, and I'm reading through his platform. And I'm saying, this guy's a registered Democrat? No way. He makes Lindsey Graham look like a, a leftist, which Lindsey, I still say, is. Uh, but he is on the conservative side of Lindsey Graham. But why he's running as a Democrat, I don't know. But maybe in Louisiana, it's the only way you can get elected. Uh, but he will be uh, joining us uh, hopefully very, very shortly. Um, again, I want to welcome everyone that is with us. Uh, we have a lot of stuff that we're going to be going over also, because I don't know how long he will be with us, because like I said, he is in the middle of a deposition. Uh, but today's show is also being dedicated to a gentleman that happened to have been a personal friend of Senator Milkovich, uh, Dr. David Richard Graham. He passed away on July 30th of twenty. I believe it was 2007, but I put 2017. i got to double-check that date. That might be my bad. Uh, anyway, Dr. Graham, uh, he actually passed away in 2006. Dr. Graham was a United States Navy veteran, a Vietnam War veteran, and a 9-11 whistleblower. And he passed away under very, very unusual circumstances. And I have a clip uh, from 9-11 doctor that was put up. And let me play that clip for you so you can get a better picture of who Dr. Graham is. Up until his death in September of 2006, Shreveport dentist Dr. David Graham insisted that someone poisoned him two years earlier while trying to publish a book. That book claimed that he met two 9-11 hijackers a year before September 11th after fearing the men intended to target Barksdale Air Force Base. He uh, documented in his book that he had reported them to the FBI some 10 months before 9-11. And, of course, that, you know, the FBI or the federal authorities had never detained these individuals and that he had received a threat. Graham told those close to him that threat came from a federal agent. Shreveport attorney John Milkovich is the man who gave the eulogy at Dr. David Graham's funeral. He says that there's no question about whether or not Dr. Graham was poisoned. The question has always been, who did it? I personally don't know who poisoned him, but I think that it's very important uh, that the truth come out. 9-11 researcher Sander Hicks is the one who just filed a complaint with the Inspector General's Office of the U.S. Justice Department, asking for an investigation into Graham's death because those close to him still live in fear. The family has been uh, worried that there's going to be some sort of reprisal. So much so, said Hicks that the family did not ask for an autopsy, even after Dr. Graham's 27 months 
of paralysis and organ failures before his death at a Shreveport nursing home. If Dr. Graham could be taken out so easily without an investigation from law enforcement, you know, the people are scared. The Department of Justice told Hicks to expect a reply within the next six months. All right, and that was the news report from 9-11 Doctor. Today's show is dedicated to Dr. Graham, his bravery that came out with the Graham report. And on the description of today's show on Blog Talk Radio, and I will be putting it up on uh, Facebook and YouTube uh, links also, has a link to the Graham 9-11 report, a PDF file that you can uh, download yourself and take a look at it. It's 208 pages of blockbuster material, how 9-11 could have been prevented. So today's show is dedicated to the whistleblowers who go forward voluntarily, never expecting their own government to take them out, and who face it bravely. And Dr. Graham has paid with it with his life. So today's show is dedicated to Dr. Graham. And we dedicate it to him and all the brave whistleblowers out there, as well as the first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or uh, emergency service, as well as to our military that served from the birth of our nation through today and into the future. God bless each and every one. We dedicate it with this song, Amazing Grace. Here on Block Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, all the heck with it. Go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Of course, I'm your hostess with the most, just the radio chick, Annie, running solo today uh, without my, my buddy, Curtis C.S. Bennett. And we will be back full-time broadcasting again uh, on... 
February 1st, and we'll have a nice show locked up. But today we have a special broadcast. We've put this broadcast together just for this one gentleman. So we're honored to have with us aboard State uh, Louisiana State Senator John Milkovich. How are you today, Senator Milkovich? Hey, Annie. A privilege to be here today. Thank you. Our privilege to be here and speak there. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> We got you. We got you. Uh, yeah. Uh, we brought you aboard to uh, talk about your new book that you have out. It's a really a blockbuster book. And why Robert Mueller is not behind uh, bars right now is amazing. Uh, your new book is called Robert Mueller, Erin Boyd for the New World Order. And it's a fascinating, fascinating book. But I want to let you know that we started off the show, which we do each and every show, to a dedication to a fallen hero. And I had read about your friend, Dr. Graham, a while back. And over the years, yes. you know, every once in a while, I bring him up. And I didn't put the two of you together until I started reading your bio last night. And all of a sudden, that big bong went off my head, went, boy, slaphead time, that the two oh, of yes. you were friends. And you, you did the eulogy at his funeral back in uh, 2006. And today's show is dedicated to your friend here. And that's how we started the show off. Oh, listen, I'll tell you what, you you couldn't have done better as far as I'm concerned than dedicate this show to Dr. David Graham. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm more honored you dedicating the show to him than if, if you had mentioned me. And by the way, I don't need deserve to be mentioned in the same breath as him. David, yes, Annie, um, thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, no, it is it is my honor. Um and I just wanted to let people know what was going on about him. And I think at one point we're going to come back and do an entire show centered around him and what was going on and the Graham report. Matter of fact, onto the show description today, as people go onto the blog talk radio location, I'm going to put it up on the other websites, the other social networks too, a link Thank to the nine 11 Graham report that people can download and read the entire document. Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, Annie, David Graham was a personal friend of mine. He uh, w- was raised, uh, born and raised, uh, I believe he was uh, born, but for sure raised in Keithville, Louisiana, which is where I now live in northwest Louisiana. David Graham was a uh, cutting-edge dentist who was one of the uh, 20 years, 30 years ahead of his time in re- warning uh, patients about the dangers of mercury fillings. He was a uh, innovative and very intrepid uh, radio show, uh, you know, talk show journalist. He was a Keithville, Louisiana country boy. He was a strong Christian. And David Graham was a decorated Vietnam War veteran who volunteered for over 60 MedCap missions in, uh, during the Vietnam War. Basically, he went out into situations into the South, South Vietnamese countryside to provide medical and or dental care uh, at basically with small teams. And every time they went into a village, they risked uh, being wiped out by Viet Cong because, you know, in the Vietnam War, you didn't always know which, uh, which villages were run or uh, dominated by the Viet Cong. So he basically put his life on the line 62 times to, during his career, was a decorated vet to, number one, provide medical and dental and or dental assistance to uh, South Vietnamese citizens. And secondly... Um, to keep other soldiers from having to do it. David Graham said, look, I don't have a family. I'm single. It's better me to go than someone that has a family. And, of course, the the strategic objective was to build bridges between the South Vietnamese civilians and the American South Vietnamese Army that was fighting to uh, repulse communism and into China. And uh, 
when well, you're he, ready, I can talk to you about what, be, how David Graham and Robert Mueller potentially intersect. Well, go ahead, please do, because uh, you do touch lightly upon it in the book, which is why I had that huge boing moment. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, in you know David's background, again, a journalist, Vietnam veteran, country boy, uh, cutting-edge re, uh, medical researcher, he, David stumbled across some uh, Mideastern interlopers in Shreveport in the fall of 2000, highly suspicious. Uh, they were using false names, uh, pretending uh, untruthfully to be uh, medical physicians. They were trying to get on to the Barksdale Air Force, Air Force Base across the river from Shreveport, which is one of America's top nuclear installations. And uh, there was packages being sent to them uh, using false names. One of them was talking about his relative meeting with Osama bin Laden. Okay, that's for a Vietnam War veteran like David Graham. That was enough uh, whistles and red flags and warnings and sirens and he tipped he told the feds he contacted uh, the uh, the federal government he spoke to the FBI spoke to secret service he had several detailed conversations and said look these guys are up to no good he thought at the time that they were trying to make their way onto uh, Barksdale Air Force Base or a nuclear installation and cause a you know a, blow something up cause a terroristic make a make a terroristic attack uh, they ignored him. He, you know, he told them and told them and told them. Of course, fast forward October of 2001, David Graham is eating at a Greasy Spoon, one of our famous southern uh, Greasy Spoon breakfast places. We're proud of him. And he picks up the USA Today, and on the front is the pictures of 19 of the hijackers that that supposedly uh, helped perpetrate the, the attack of 9-11 uh, two of the 19 uh, faces on the front page of the USA Today were hijackers that David Graham specifically warned the feds about. Uh, going forward, uh, David got back and he got right in the grill of the local FBI agent and said, what in the world were you thinking? I told you these guys were up to no good. You didn't do a thing about it. What's going on here? Y'all are not wanting to investigate. You're not wanting to protect America. And then He's basically his focus shifted uh, from, look, you all didn't stop this, to why aren't you investigating this? And they didn't want to hear what they had to say. He started making written reports to the FBI. He then tried to uh, ra- you know, get his report up the flagpole to the congressional and joint inquiry that was conducted and um, basically tell them, look, that he had blown the whistle 10 months before 9-11. Uh, the FBI agents were not responsive. They basically threatened him, told him to keep his mouth shut, uh, asked him how his health was uh, in very uh, unguarded terms and you know, very, very directly getting their message across. And David said, no, I'm not going to be silenced. And uh, as the story progresses of David's life, what happened is he said, look, I went to the FBI, and when the federal, you know, the federal government, they wouldn't respond, I tried to communicate with the congressional committee. He actually drove to Washington to report his findings. He said, well, the next step is I'm writing a book. I'm going directly to the American public. Uh, shortly before he was scheduled to publish his book about warning the feds about two of the 9-11 hijackers, he was poisoned. Um, 
The FBI was there to, number one, discourage the doctors from uh, saving his life. They literally went to the emergency rooms and the hospitals and, and discredited him with the doctors, told them that he was a nut. And they, they, in, in so many words, they told him, don't spend too much time trying to save his life. Um, and they falsely reported that he was dead. They falsely denied that he... Uh, that he had met with them and told them about the, these terrorists before 9-11. And David survived, but they falsely accused him, trying to discredit him, of attempting to commit suicide. So basically there's all kinds of FBI fingerprints and a lot of you know surrounding shadows. How did the FBI agents know to be in the hospital? How did they know that he was going to be poisoned? But they were right there. How, why did they falsely report that he was dead when he actually survived the poisoning attack? Why did they try to discredit him and say that he com tried to commit suicide, which was a total falsehood? And why did they deny that he met with him? Of course, covering, covering for themselves. And, you know, well, David Graham was poisoned, I believe it was in 2005, but it was while Robert Mueller was the head of the FBI and Annie doing everything in his power to cover up and sabotage the investigation of 9-11. And it's an amazing, amazing story. And, you know, I, I some of the things that you wrote about in the book I was aware of. Matter of fact, I lived in um, By the, the way, Boston I should finish that story. David the... did ultimately die from the poisoning, Annie. I saw, but, it, but he lived, I believe, it was about another two years uh, roughly, and, and I should know that number right out that that time period. He survived, but he never walked again. He told his story, though, after he was poisoned. And when he talked to his close friends that were with him through the ordeal, and they asked him, who do you think was behind that? He indicated to his closest friends he believed the FBI, which that all happened while Robert Mueller was the head of the FBI and while Robert Mueller was doing his best to cover up what really happened in 9-11. Now, you weave it through, you know, how Mueller has always shifted between uh, different areas within the government and how he got his hands into several different investigations. And the Whitey yes. Bolger one, and if anyone remembers, we reported on Whitey Bolger's mysterious death when he was being transported between one uh, penal institute to another. How oh, did someone know that he was at that exact spot? And when I was thinking about that, I'm saying the FBI has to be involved in this. This is going to have to go right back to Robert Mueller. And sure enough, we write about this in the book prior to Whitey Bulger being killed. Uh, tell us about Whitey Bulger. This was not one good dude. Well, this is what we know, Annie, and this is not conjecture. This is not conspiracy theory. This is documented. In fact, Waddy Bulger was the head of the Winter Hill Mafia gang in Boston running a racketeering murder operation. Uh, multiple people ended up dead. The startling and disturbing, profoundly disturbing fact is that Waddy Bulger, while he was running his mafiosa racketeering operation in the Boston area for 19 years, he was being protected by the FBI. That's been very well documented. Um, and so the FBI actually kept him out of court, kept him out of jail, and they tipped him off when other law enforcement agencies were investigating, trying to wiretap him, trying to bug his phones. In other words, they, they were his, his uh, mobile guard. He, they were his traveling portable protection service. He had his own protection service, and that was the FBI. And according to at least one or more researchers, FBI agents actually assisted in the cover-up 
or in the commission or a cover-up of one or more murders in, in conjunction with their cover their their cover for Whitey Bulger. Quite, well, what's Robert, what's this got to do with Robert Bulger? During this 19-year reign of terror, FBI working with the mafia in Boston, where was Robert Mueller? Well, chronologically and geographically, he was right in the center of it. You see, for over four years. Robert Mueller was either the assistant U.S. attorney, then later the U.S. attorney in Boston. And what did what exactly did Robert Mueller do about this FBI-assisted mafiosa racketeering operation that was killing people? He uh, didn't lift a finger, didn't raise a vo- his voice. He saw something, did nothing. Of course, we then go on to talk in the book about Pan Am 103. You're too young to remember this, but in 1988, Pan <laughs> no, Am 103. Not. Well, I'm going by your voice. I don't. I don't. Do not have your birth certificate, Annie. Um, but in any event, Pan Am 103 took off from London to headed for uh, America. Blew up over Lockerbie, Scotland. Tragic, horrific loss of human lives. 259, uh, and uh, over 30 kids from Syracuse were actually returning home from Christmas break. Can you imagine that? Their, their parents just absolutely devastated by their children coming back on a foreign. You know, foreign uh, adventure to to have some fun studying in Europe and learn some things. And their what they got for Christmas was their kids killed. But in any event, they, it was very well established, clearly established, uh, established repeatedly through the evidence and investigation who was behind Pan Am 103. It was Ahmed Jabril, who was a terrorist sponsored by the Iranians and Syrians. He had the bomb built. Uh, Monser Alcazar was a Syrian drug lord who was trafficking heroin into America. He helped create the uh, the pipeline, so to speak, that got the bomb on board uh, Pan Am 103. He had a network of paid-off, on-the-take, crooked baggage handlers that were regularly putting uh, drugs on flights, you know, switching luggage and putting drugs on flights from Europe to America. So we had Jabril, the terrorist, had the bomb build. We had Alcazar, the drug dealer, who helped get the bomb on board. Then we had some rogue, crooked CIA agents who were notified that the plane, the flight was going to leave, and knew that there was a bomb on board and gave explicit instructions to the ground-level CIA forces and federal agents, let the flight go, let it happen. And, of course, parenthetically, to uh, compound the tragedy, one of the victims, in addition to the Syracuse college students returning home for uh, after, the Chris, after the fall semester, returning home for Christmas to see their families, was one of the members, was Char- one of the persons on board was Charles McKee, United States Army major, a high-ranking uh, uh, officer with the DIA, Defense Intelligence Agency. He was literally flying from London to America to blow the whistle on a CIA drug ring. The CIA was dealing drugs with Alcazar, the guy who got the bomb on board. Enter stage left Robert Mueller. What does he do? Well, uh, Jabril, the guy who had the bomb built, he gets a pass. Uh, Alcazar, the, the drug dealer that helped get the bomb on board, he gets he gets a get-out-of-jail-free card. The CIA agents that said, yeah, go ahead and let the flight go, and by the way, it's going to blow up one of our federal agents who's, uh, who's fixing to blow the whistle on us, they get a mulligan. So the guilty parties get off, but, and this is the hallmark of a Mueller operation, it's not enough that you let the guilty go free. You also always have to persecute the innocent so you keep up good media relations, and it looks like you're actually a legit law enforcement officer. Um, what Mueller did is he helped spearhead a fabricated prosecution against a couple of Libyan uh, intelligence officials who had about as much to do with the Pan Am bombing as your sixth grade PE teacher in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, 
we can go forward to uh, Ruby Ridge, the federal agents. We, we all know the story. They shot up the Randy Weaver family. They tried to shoot Randy Weaver to death, only, but they seriously injured him. He survived. His son and wife were not so fortunate. His 14-year-old son submachine gun to death by a federal agent as he was running away from what the family termed basically a federal, an ambush by federal agents. And not only was his son shot to death, his wife uh, was shot in the head and killed by a federal agent and sniper, uh, Lon Horiuchi, as she was holding her 10-month-old baby, holding, standing in the doorway of her home unarmed, holding her 10-month-old uh, infant daughter. So the federal agents go in and shoot up the Weavers. Uh, People that were close to or around Robert Mueller at the, same, at the time said he was furious. He was angry. He was more than agitated. Was he angry because federal agents shot up an American family? No. According to those that spoke to him, he was furious that anyone had the audacity to criticize federal agents for shooting up an American family. Uh, we can go forward to – and maybe I'm covering too much ground too, too <laughs> fast – well, and well, we'll we hop, did have a question. Can we hop to BCCI for we just did a minute? Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Uh, we did have a question in the chat room because uh, this gentleman, uh, Alice, uh, wants to know what happened to the terrorists. That Now, the word was that two of them were released. And you talk about this, these two individuals also in your book. One was uh, found not guilty. The other was released on humanitarian uh, reasons. And I'm well, and, but, and, and the whole that point is they released, weren't. I, yeah, they weren't the guys that did it. Exactly. Al McGrahey, Yeah, they basically scapegoated two Libyan intelligence officials that had nothing to do with the Pan Am, and they knew who did it. It was Jabril. How do we know that? Well, the federal intelligence agencies had tracked, intercepted, documented the fact that he got paid by the Iranians $1 million to do the bombing beforehand. And then after the completion of the project, he got paid $10 million. He was basically, uh, it was, it was uh, witnesses verified that he bragged about committing the crime. And uh, one, of the, one or more of the Iranian officials uh, also you know, admitted that Iran was, Iran was behind the bombing. In, in fact, it was so overt and over the top that CIA agents have gone on record, at least one, Robert Baer, I believe is his name, went on record. This is a CIA agent and said, look, after this bombing, everybody in the CIA knew that Iran and Syria were involved and behind it. So um, Jabril bragged about it. He got paid for it. Iranians bragged about it. They intercepted the, the phone calls where they were uh, getting, you know, they, they actually documented, electronically documented the, the payments that were made by Iran to Jabril to commit the crime. So here's Robert Mueller. It was a political, his, it's one of these investigations that's based on politics, not proof. The um, Jabril gets off. And uh, the last time I checked, he's still alive. 270 people dead, and he's wandering around uh, untouched. Uh, thank you. No thank you, Robert Mueller. Uh, if you want to talk about BCCI, you let me know. It's, this is your show. I'm just going from one corrupt, you know, one collision with corruption to another. And there's, there's more. But you notice that wherever they need a cover-up, Wherever they need someone to shove something underneath the rug, that's where they move Robert Mueller. And now I was watching the uh, confirmation hearing with of William Barr today, and they brought up. 
Yeah, and they brought up the unholy trio of Rosenstein, Comey, and Mueller. And you notice that this is where the deep state is really dug in, and Mueller is their front man. Yep, yes. You said it. I don't even have to say anything. Because <laughs> when they were turning around, and they're saying Comey is the greatest guy to do the, to head the FBI. He's the greatest guy to do that. I, I said I've said this on the air for years. I says how can you say that when he headed the Whitewater investigation? What happened? Nothing. He headed the Mark Rich. Uh, 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 Pardon. What happened with that? Nothing. He headed the White House uh, travel gate. What happened with that? Nothing. It's all these years that Comey was there. He was the, mentored by Mueller. They are best buddies. They vacation together. What makes you think that this unholy tr- trinity will allow anything to happen? And this is to what the you're bad guys. That's exactly right. You're you're right on the money. Um, and BCCI is just one more example. Bush 41, yes. He brings in – BCCI is a huge scandal, billions of dollars used in uh, financing and money laundering for drug traffickers, terrorist operations, crooked intel, black ops. Uh, they're bribe, using the money to bribe politicians, to uh, pay for cover-ups, to, uh, and they were, uh, theft of billions of dollars was involved. And uh, – Mueller is brought in by Bush 41. What does he do? He sweeps the evidence under the rug, and he um, he makes sure that the big boys that are involved in this billions of dollars of fraud and money laundering and terrorism and drug you know drug trafficking they get a slap on the wrist. They they basically get off free. And it's really interesting, you know, Mueller's selectivity because there was. Uh, Paul Manafort supposedly facing life in prison for potentially ripping off the federal government for millions of dollars. But in BCCI, we're dealing with billions of dollars. Mathematically, that's thousands of times as much money. I can't remember anyone facing life in the BCCI scandal. Uh, you know, and move forward to, to 9-11. Uh, he was appointed to, to cover up BCCI by President Bush 41. President Bush 43 appoints him to head the FBI. Get this, Annie, one week before 9/11, what does he do? As soon as 9/11 happens, he he gets into you know hyper mode, goes into warp speed like Star Trek, and starts whisking and flying and stage right exiting the Saudis, the Bin Ladens, the the Saudi officials and royalty out of America, so they cannot be questioned, cannot be investigated, cannot be interrogated. In other words, he immediately jumps into cover up mode so that the American people cannot ever find out the whole truth behind 9-11. Of course, I think the truth's coming out more and more every day. But at the same time, here again, here's the, uh, where the other shoe drops on the Mueller operation. He gets the Saudis, who had most likely involvement or culpable knowledge or support for the terrorists, out of the country, and then he rounds up hundreds of hapless immigrants in New York City who had nothing to do with 9-11 and detains them illegally without charges, without proof, without evidence. And according to one or more writers, he personally supervised their mistreatment. Why does he do this? Well, because here he goes again, manipulating the media. He doesn't want to go after the guilty, so you got to find a scapegoat. you you got to hammer the innocent, uh, persecute the innocent, let the guilty go free, so it can make 
you know, make it appear to the public like he's actually doing something to investigate 9-11. And, he, and after that, he continued to fight efforts by the committees to, to get the witnesses to talk about what happened. Uh, an FBI paid informant who was actually entertaining and hosting people that later went on to be 9-11 uh, hijackers um, disappeared. And I don't know whether he died or not, but he he was made un- the FBI made him unavailable so he couldn't be questioned. He tried to keep uh, Senator Bob Nel- uh, Bob Graham from going to um, going to the West Coast of California to investigate the fact that a paid FBI informant took care of a couple of the you know the uh, Saudi hijackers. Um, and uh, basically, now, what, he, he I, what said, I found amazing is. What I found amazing was, because I was on duty, uh, I retired NYPD, I was on duty back in 93, February 92, when the World Trade Center, <laughs> when the World Trade Center was hit the first time. Um, and I, I remember all the rumors and all the flashes that we were getting, you know, sending us in all different directions, and how that actually tied in into the second uh, attack on the World Trade Center. And yet, it was. It was never. The connections were never made for the longest time, and between yeah. '93 and the attack of '93 and 9/11, there was a Hollywood movie that came out. I think it, I believe it starred Denzel Washington and Tony Shalhoub, based upon an attack on Manhattan in a 9/11 type style, and where they oh, rounded gosh. up all these these people, Arab Americans. And they put them in these cages in the middle of Manhattan. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is like they're practicing. And then 9-11 hits. And immediately after, a week after, we hear about these arrows being secretly flown home. And this is something else you addressed in your book. And we said there's no way they could know where every single person is that needs to flee for their life and have the government assist them, putting them on planes, unless they were tracking them ahead of time. Hey, you're you're listen. That 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 sounds like a like you're doing, you know, like you're thinking this through. Yeah, that's a very good point. It's kind of like one of the World Trade Centers. Anyway, them the third anyway, you know where I'm going with that, but yeah, that's absolutely true. Um <laughs> Mueller was sending minders, quote, minders, unquote, to interviews of witnesses by the investigative uh, commissions. And basically, they were there to intimidate witnesses, tell them to send the message, you need to keep your mouth shut, you don't need to talk, you need to you need to be careful about what you say. He, um, he it, in several instances, well, t- entirely tried to block the investigation of what actually happened. Other things that he did is that FBI agents that blew the whistle and told the truth and said, look, we were trying to stop this. We knew something was going to happen. They get drummed out of the FBI or get sanctioned or get penalized or get discredited. And FBI agents who are willing to lie and go with the company's story and say what they're supposed to, they get rewards, promotions, and bonuses. And and let's move forward. Anthrax. Uh, Robert Mueller took control of this investigation and uh, basically, the weaponized anthrax used in that attack was so highly sophisticated, so chemically advanced that about the only one in the, about the only people in America or the world that could produce it were uh, labs in America that were connected with intelligence agencies or the military. Well, that looks pretty bad if the anthrax may have come out of a lab that had some connection to the federal government. So here we go, Mueller let the you know persecute the innocent, let the guilty go free. He goes ahead and scapegoats uh, a man named Dr. Bruce Ivins, 
And the problem with the case was, according to Dr. Richard Spurzel, the head of, who is a top uh, anthrax expert with the United Nations, he said, look, there's only four or five people in America that even have the capability to produce this highly weaponized, aerosolized, chemically uh, transformed anthrax that was used in these attacks. He says, Bruce, I, Dr. Ivans ain't one of them. I am. I know. He doesn't even know. He doesn't have the tech. He doesn't have the capability to do this. And he said, in addition, he said, I know how to do this. It would have taken me a year or more and a complete staff and the best equipment, technologically advanced equipment uh, in America or the world. So basically what he says is that, look, the, what I could not have done without a year and a complete staff and the best equipment, they're saying that Dr. Bruce Ivins did in a few days by himself. You know, he said baloney. That did not happen. And Dr. Ivins' colleagues uh, to his death and afterwards uh, maintain his innocence. They never believed that he did it. His handwriting didn't match the handwriting on the, the threats or warnings. There was no evidence that he was in the area where the anthrax was sent out. But Mueller scapegoated him and isolated him and persecuted him and targeted him and drove him, you know, half crazy. Now, the official story, Annie, is that Dr. Bruce Ivins, quote, committed suicide, unquote. Not everyone agrees with that. Some people think there's a possibility that there was something more sinister uh, at stake in his in the death of the tragic death of this man. What we do know is this. Number one, uh, Dr. Ivins uh, died at a very propitious, favorable, uh, salubrious time for the Mueller investigation. He died right when Mueller was at the point where he was going to have to either put up and shut up. He died right at that point where uh, the Mueller uh, allegation was going to have to go public in a trial, and Mueller's case was going to have to be publicly humiliated. And so we not, so we know that he died at a very ad, the, the timing of his death was very advantageous for the Mueller forces. What we also know is that the FBI agent, I believe his name was Richard Lambert, who was tasked with heading this anthrax investigation, he literally sued the FBI, filed a whistleblower action, and said the FBI, a lawsuit, get this, a lawsuit by an FBI agent against the FBI saying you all are covering up the crime. You wouldn't let me investigate. You sabotaged my investigation. You wouldn't give me the staff. You wouldn't give me the resources. You wouldn't make the chemical analyses and comparisons that were indicated. And you covered up the evidence that showed Ivins didn't do it. Uh, we can move forward to weapons of mass destruction. Here goes Robert Mueller again. He testified under oath before the United States Congress, essentially saying, yes, these people, we, you know, they have weapons of mass destruction. Well, that turned out to be a lie. Um, my understanding is that zero weapons of mass destruction were found. However, here's Mueller doing what the Bushes asked him to do. So we could go to war in Iraq, over 4,500 American soldiers killed. I've seen F uh, estimates that uh, the number of Iraqi civilians died anywhere from 100,000 to over a million. $1.6 trillion in costs by the time we end up paying and providing the benefits, which we should to these American veterans the, the price tag on this could be $6 billion. Robert Mueller the, in operation again. And one other th – yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm throwing too much out there, but it's cover-up after cover-up. <laughs> well, and there's no, others. I'm actually loving it because uh, you've got my mind going. And as I was reading your book, it was taking me back uh, because when Pan Am 103 happened um, – 
shortly around that same time, there was a plane that went down in the East River, and there was we were wondering whether or not either one were related at the time. Uh, matter of fact, back in 78 to 82, I owned a travel agency. So anything that happens in the travel industry, I'm very attuned to. Uh, I also had worked for American Express Business Travel when I in Boston area. So I, I was very familiar with what was going on with Whitey Bolger at the time, too. Oh, so, gosh. you know, I, all this was making me go back and say, all right, fine. Uh, let me see how this all ties together. And you do bring it beautifully together in your book. And I, I can see actually a sequel to this book because of the other things that are going on, especially with Uranium One, which then yep. again ties into Iran and Russia and the Clintons and Mueller and so on and so on and so on. It is so much that is involved with around this one individual. As I said, why isn't he in that, that orange suit that we'd love all love to see Hillary Clinton in? Why aren't these people behind bars? And you know exactly why. Because these are crimes. He's connected to powerful people, and you know th- th- this is a simplistic way of saying it. But I'm, you know, at at root, I'm probably a, kind of a simplistic person. But in one corner, you've got the Bushes, Clintons, and Obamas. None of them have any use for Donald Trump. Okay, I mean, the strongest thing they could say is George W. Bush claims he didn't vote for anybody for president, and his dad says he voted for Hillary. Um, you got the Bushes, Obamas, and Clintons, and Robert Mueller in one corner with, you know, their little helpers, Rod Ehrenstein and James Comey and other crooks, that people, spineless members of Congress. And by the way, we've got some heroes in Congress. Rand Paul is one of them. There's many others. Uh, I like the, um, the is it uh, Jim Jordan from Ohio? Uh, oh, yeah. And, and uh, Louis Gohmert has, has done some great work and many, many others. But you oh, basically have the New World Order in one corner, and the other corner you've got Donald Trump and the deplorables, the uh, – the working families of America, and they don't like him because he doesn't follow their New World Order rules, because he's not willing to trash the American economy, because he is speaking out against weaponized immigration, because he insists that America, like all other nations in the world, should maintain their freedom, independence, and sovereignty. He's an outsider. He's not playing by the rules that they use to create wars, make money, rip off the people, bail out bankers, welfare for Wall Street, Tax breaks for billionaires. I mean, he's just and, and you know, yeah, Donald Trump just isn't. He's not following the script. <laughs> no, he's not. No, he's not. And you know, people would wonder why. How is Mueller tied in? He's FBI. He's Department of Justice. He's a prosecutor. How he ties in with the CIA? But you got to remember the tie-in goes back to George H. Bush, who was director of the CIA. And yep. he was the one that appointed Mueller the first time. So there is a direct connection. And you got to remember also with 9-11, they then uh, united all the different organizations, CIA, Department of Homeland Security, FBI, because they said they weren't talking to each other. That's also another huge line of bunk. It is a matter of just controlling the information in a central area so someone like Mueller and Romanstein and Comey and whoever else is backing them can control the message going out to the public. I think I'm getting smarter the more I listen to you. That's very perceptive, <laughs> and, and I, that, that's, that resonates. I think you're on track. Uh, no, well, that's, that's why I've been yeah. doing this now for eight years. <laughs> well, you're a smart lady, and you're, you're a New York beat cop, so you you got to have some street smarts. And, you know, we didn't even talk about how Robert Mueller advocated for a 
surveillance state in America. Uh, he went to Congress and said basically the federal government needs to have the legal authority to spy on 320 million. Is that how many we are? Law-abiding citizens. Our phone calls, uh, this phone call, uh, texts, faxes, cell phone communications, um, internet searches. So he said we need we need the federal government to spy on our people. You know, kind of like they do in Red China and Communist uh, Russia, Soviet Union. Um, yeah, he's a you know. If you look at what his actions are, he functions like a communist. Um, he he did lie and say that there was no advance warnings from 9/11. You're, you used to used to be a beat cop in New York City. You know what people in New York City know. Uh, you know that's a lie. And you know what tons of warnings about 9/11. And Mueller said, look, we had no warnings. The only way we could have stopped this is if we were spying on every telephone call of every American. Uh, so I mean that's. No, we did not need to spy on the phone calls of every American. What we need to do is we need to follow up on the leads that were provided by federal agents and you know people in the trenches and the front ranks. But, but but this is the bottom line, Annie. The book is good, and if it is, all of the credit goes to other people. It goes to the Christians. It goes to federal agents. It goes to investigators. It goes to researchers. It goes to cops. It goes to soldiers, veterans, uh, the the families of 9/11 victims. So, and they are the ones that went out and dug to get this information. And they, as I said in the book, they risk everything, sacrifice much to put this information out there. And what we do is we try to uh, assemble and, and compile the information that these people risk their lives to get and, and bring to the American public. Well, there's a ton of information in this, but it does. You touch on the most important parts that are relevant at this point. But as I said, there is a sequel to this because there's a lot more that surrounds Mueller and his unholy trinity, as I call it, uh, that's going on. And Uranium One is the next big breaking story. You also and, have instances, and you mentioned about the spying thank you, NSA. Dr. Say, you had for James right now, Clapper that <laughs> James Clapper that sat before oh Congress under oath, testified that they were not spying on the American public. They were not tapping into people's phones and cell phones and emails. He lied under oath and no no one touched Yeah, yeah. So if, Robert Mueller, if you're so upset about people lying, yeah. And, and, yeah, I have got a, you know, this is is uh, pedestrian, or pedestrian is one of my, Civil law professors used to say at LSU, I've got a deposition that I've got to go to. Annie, I love talking to you. You have got this figured out. People pray for her. We need to, you know, you're one of the people that we, you're speaking out, telling the truth. American people need to get behind you and pray for you and support the products, you know, the the, the advertisers that uh, patronize your show because thank God for you. We need some folks like you that's stand up, tell the truth, and they're out there. and You're one of them. So you're my hero today. David Graham and Annie. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll definitely have to have you back on do a, a lot longer with you. Uh, I just wanted to mention you are running for re-election. You are a state senator down in Louisiana. And I went onto sure. your platform. And I, 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 sorry, I, I may not have been born in the South, but I got here as soon as I could. And I learned here go. in South Carolina – 
if you want to get elected uh, on the Democratic and uh, the Republican ticket, you are a Democrat that registers as a Republican and you'll get elected. Now, in Louisiana, I think it's the exact opposite. If you want to get elected in Louisiana, you are a Republican that runs on the Democratic p- ticket. Because when I looked at your platform, I said, no way is this guy a full Democrat. Well, you know, we're old school. You know, I, I, I think there was a time in America when Democrats were fighting for a fair shake for working families and Bible values and help a neighbor. And tragically, and listen, you know this as well or better than I do, it's the Democrats in Washington, it seems like they've gone crazy. Um, they're all into, well, not all, but it seems like so many, so too many people on the D side are into atheism, socialism, abortion, uh, entitlements. I mean, that's not the future for America. Future for America is uh, prosperity and freedom and justice and freedom and independence. You got me started. You got me fired up. But you know what I'm talking about. We we, we got to get back to the basics, the Bible and the Constitution. And that's that's not sophisticated. That but that's I don't know that I can get any smarter than that. That's just what. That's just what we believe. <laughs> yes, we do cling to our God and guns, and we should not be ashamed of that. You know, just to mention recently, just an article that came over, Amazon is now bowing down to care and removing certain items that Muslims feel is offensive from their inventory. And this is how bad it is. You now have Facebook cooperating with care to censure sites such as ours. Uh, Franklin Graham has been, just been banned from Facebook. Now, this is where we've got a problem here. Yeah, we've, yes. Listen, I hope we get to have this conversation again because um, you've, I, I think you may have more answers than I do. I just tried to focus on a small little part of the, you know, of the of the globe that I could try to drill down on and, and was able to do it because of the, the hard work of other people. But I'll tell you what, I I feel like I'm smarter having visited with you, and thank you so much for what you're doing, Annie. Oh, it has been our pleasure, and I have a link to your book up on our, our show page as well as the link thank to you. Uh, the Graham Report that people can download. Uh, so thank I'm you. recommending it. It's going out to all the social networks. I highly recommend it. And when is it coming out in Kindle? You know, I don't know if we're going to do that. I, who knows? I, I don't even know, but we just – we're so excited that we have so many great Americans that are willing to pay the price and put truth and justice before all these deep state uh, manipulative games and really tell the people the truth about what's going on. And I think the American people are really, I, I think they're catching on. And you're helping. So <laughs> well, I God hope, bless with the hard work I hope you this do. Is, I hope this is not goodbye, but talk to you soon. Oh, absolutely. I'll have AJ get a hold of you and we'll book you back on. And like I said, we'll talk about your friend, uh, Dr. Graham Moore, and we'll go into other issues too. God bless you for the hard work and good luck on your campaign. Thank you, Annie. God bless you, dear. All right. Check out uh, Louisiana State Senator John Milkovich. He's up on Facebook. I saw him also up on Twitter. Uh, His book is Robert Mueller, Errand Boy for the New World Order. Uh, Check it out. Link, as I said, is up on the show page and it'll go out Uh, The links will be put up also on the Facebook and YouTube uh, videos that are up there, as well as the other social networks. And I want to welcome everyone that is here with us in the chat room. Feel free to call in because I am now co-hostless, so I'm winging it as we go along. And if you want to join the conversation, um, matter of fact, we have someone that, uh, John, if you're still listening in, we already have someone saying that he's ordering the book now. 
Um, okay. Anyway, good luck on that. So feel free to call in. The phone number is 917-889-3675. And I pulled over some additional stories. And one of them, if anyone's been watching, we've got the uh, William Barr hearings going on right now in uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee. And my state senator, Lindsey Graham, is now the chair of that Judiciary Committee. And it looks like it's going to sail along. I don't see any real barment uh, to par becoming uh, the next uh, uh, attorney general, if I can get my, what is he going for attorney? I even forget what the heck he's going for. Anyway, uh, no, um, FBI director, I believe. Someone correct me in the chat room because I'm, I'm having a major brain fart over here. Um, but I watched it. Cory Booker was trying to question him. And of course he got stopped short. I guess he made himself a real jackass the last time he was there testify, asking questions of the person testifying, which was Kavanaugh at the Kavanaugh hearings. And as we went to air, Camilla Harris was starting to question him. Uh, and again, she was also not going after him the same way she went after Kavanaugh. Uh, they did touch on his Catholic faith. Um, and of course, he answered that very brilliantly. I didn't see any problems with going on. And I see him going forward and being appointed and approved. But that being said, Anyone else want to put up the subject that we can talk about? But I had this one thing here that was up on uh, Tea Party organization, and it looks like Lisa Page is singing. You know, we know the story about the uh, uh, Trump investigation that started off with McCabe and Strzok, and their text messages that went back and forth to each other. As a matter of fact, uh, Phil uh, McAleer and Ann um, McElerney have a great video up there where they have two people reenacting those text messages that went back and forth. And if it wasn't so serious, it would be hilarious how childish those text messages were. And it goes to show how much they had Trump derangement syndrome, which started off with that, which led to a false FISA warrant, which led to the additional investigations, which all should have been thrown out because the fruit of the poisonous tree, because that report that came out of steel was falsified, which caused the FISA, uh, uh, FISA subpoena, the FISA warrant being issued. Again, fruit of the poison street. It should never have gotten off of step one. But it looks like Lisa Strzok is now uh, singing. Carlson of the Post Times has recorded that this is a part of the transcript from the page testimony. And the key points he highlights, uh, Brennan was aware, he was well aware ahead of time of the so-called Steele dossier in early August of 2016, he included information regarding the dossier in a briefing given to then-Senator Harry Reid. So here we go, Harry Reid, and we know that uh, this is orchestrated through Harry Reid. He further goes on, another key point is, the FBI appears to have considered investigating President Trump for obstruction of justice both before and after FBI Director James Comey was fired. Comey was appointed at the pleasure of the president. The president can appoint anyone he chooses and fire anyone he appoints that he chooses. They serve at his pleasure. There's no obstruction of justice, period, end report. They tried this also with Richard Nixon. All right, he further goes on saying that Page says the DOJ refused to pursue gross negligence charges against Hillary Clinton over her use of a private email server to send classified information. Remember Comey. On TV, 
saying that he's not going to prosecute. They had already determined they were not going to prosecute Hillary Clinton before they interviewed her. Before they even went down to investigate an interviewer, they already made the determination they weren't going to prosecute. Again, the unholy trinity, Rosenstein, Comey, and Mueller. Oh, man. Uh, FBI agent Michael Geisha. I'm probably mispronouncing that right or incorrect. Uh, he's the head of the Eurasian crime, crime Squad. Oh, good lie. I think I need to take a sip of water. Um, bear with me, folks. All right. Uh, he received the dossier from former M16 spy Steele in July of 2016 and referred the transcript as Steele's handler. So we already know the FBI was handling Steele. Now, remember, this is the same dossier that they handed off to John McCain. So John McCain they used to get it from Steele back into the Senate and before Congress. Um, The FBI maintained a previously unknown verification file for the Steele dossier. Congressional investigators did not previously know about this existence. So we have a congressional investigation and DOJ, Rosenstein, Mueller, and Comey prevented certain information from going forward in the congressional investigation despite subpoenas. Now, remember, DOJ also ignored, directly ignored subpoenas. Okay, and John Carlin, the head of the DOJ's National Security Division, was kept abreast of the FBI's investigative activities through contact with then-Deputy Director FBI McCabe. All right. Page worked directly for DOJ official Bruce Orr for at least five years and had met his wife, Nellie. Nellie Orr, Fusion GPS. Fusion GPS, Steele Dossier, FBI. Okay, guys. As this doesn't make a lot of sense here, huh? Now, the role of the FBI agent Jonathan Maffa and DOJ official George Tokus may have been greater than initially assumed. There may have been far more involvement by the FBI than we're being allowed to know. Again, the call-in number is 917-889-3675. And uh, got a couple other things we're going to go over, and we're probably going to end the show early. Let me see what I got here. Um, What else do I have? I pulled up a bunch of other things here. Just bear with me as I go through my notes here. And for those watching, this is the book, excellent book to uh, check out, Robert Mueller, Aaron Boy for the New World Order by John Milkovich. And Kel, if you're listening in, pick up the phone and give us a shout in because I got some stuff here. Ah, here we go, Nanny State. You're talking about the Nanny State before. This is an article. This this is something we talked about in the past. Um, we've got the nanny state going on. It used to be kids growing up. You'd babysit. You'd mow your neighbor's lawn. You'd sell lemonade on the corner. Then all of a sudden, local governments decided, hey, listen, 
these kids aren't using business licenses, so we're we're losing out in these revenues coming in. So we're not going to allow them to do these things unless they take out a business license. And, of course, there was a public uproar. Come on, the kids, they're selling lemonade. They're mowing the neighbor's lawn. Oh, if you mow the neighbor's lawn, then you're taking away jobs from all those landscaping businesses that hire migrant workers. And we need those migrant workers because American workers don't want to do the job. Wait a minute. You had kids in school kids on their vacation willing to mow the neighbor's lawn. They were willing to do the work, but you take that job away from them, you prevent them from doing it, then you allow the landscapers to come in with migrant workers to do jobs you claim we didn't want to do. Talk about an oxymoron. Well, this is a recent one. This was up on National Review, and I'll read it to you. If a child wants to make a little bit of money helping out the neighbors, so what? A woman, a mother from Woodenville, Washington, says the cops showed up concerned that she might be violating child labor laws because her nine-year-old daughter had offered to do housework for neighbors. Christina Baer told Reason Magazine that she had posted an advertisement on behalf of her daughter, Sarah, offering Sarah's services as a mother's helper. The ad, which was posted on a neighborhood website. Now, we all know we've got local papers, the Penny Saver, whatever you have nearby. Ours is the Beaufort Gazette. And you can go up onto their website and post a little ad in the local community. The mom did. And the ad stated, hello, my almost 10-year-old is available as a mother's helper. She's the oldest of three and is quite capable. She can fold and put away laundry, sweep, set tables, clean dishes, take out the trash, Make beds, vacuum, make light meals, and keep your kiddo busy. We are a homeschool family, so she has flexible schedule. Please message me if you're interested in meeting with us. So obviously the mom is not going to let her go out just to any place. She's going to interview the person that wants to hire her daughter to do some chores. So she's taking care of her daughter. She's protecting the daughter. She wants to know where she's going and what she's going to be doing. So she said, listen. Talk to us. Let me interview you. And if we feel you're a good fit, you know, we'll make arrangements. Smart mother. Now, according to Bear, only six hours later that the sheriff showed up on her door. Someone had been monitoring. They had been trolling that website just for something exactly like this, just to cause trouble. He was embarrassed and apologetic, but said he had to do a welfare check to make sure I wasn't running a sweatshop. Bear said in a letter to Reason, apparently generated multiple phone calls from paranoid neighbors thinking I was using my child as a slave. Bear said she found the whole thing to be completely ridiculous because she herself had worked in a community nursery with infants when she was nine and was babysitting alone by 11. All those things would probably violate our state's child labor laws today, she wrote. It's a shame that our culture has resorted to this paranoia. It's robbing our children of the pride that learning skills and hard work bring, she continued. I'm keeping the ad up. Good for her. Bear is right. The whole thing is completely and totally insane. Honestly, I can't believe that a simple ad from a nine-year-old wanting to do a little work even generated a single phone call in the first place. Who are these people? According to Bear, the cop even left with a warning 
that she should never post anything about her child wanting payment for her services. I just have to ask why. I'm glad that no one was there to protect me from babysitting for the neighbors when I was a kid. It was a great way to take on some responsibility and make a little bit of money. And I'm proud to report that I have suffered absolutely no traumatic consequences as a result of it. None at all. If a child wants to make a little bit of money helping out the neighbors, then so what? That's far from a situation where the police need to intervene because it's not like there's a victim. In fact, everybody wins. The neighbors get what they want, and the child gets a little bit of cash and a valuable life experience that comes with having some responsibility. Amen to that. Now, growing up, I mowed my neighbor's lawn. We had a push mower, one of those non electrical one, a push mower. And we would go to our next door neighbors, and for 50 cents, 75 cents, we would mow their little patch of front lawn. Happy to do it. I babysat my mother's friends and our neighbors next door. I babysat. I even went so far as selling stationery and greeting cards door to door. You know, we all did it as kids. That was part of growing up. It made us responsible adults. It made us appreciate the money that we earned. I mean, it's one thing when a parent gives you an allowance or you go out, Dad, I want to go to the mall. You know, give me a hundred bucks. That doesn't teach you respect for the dollar. It doesn't teach you respect for the money that your parents just earned and just forked over to you. It doesn't teach you respect for that person working at that counter when you go into the store or into that fast food restaurant. It doesn't teach you the respect you, that you have for their hard work that they're putting out to give you a product that you appreciate. Instead, we have a a I'm trying to think of the proper word, a privileged society. Everyone thinks everything is their right. You have a right to health care. You have a right to a higher education. It is a right to have free government money, food stamps, housing, uh, you name it. Your Obama phone, it is now a right Instead of an honor and privilege, I was honored and privileged to go to college. I wasn't given a college degree. I worked at one point three jobs part time to pay my tuition. My parents didn't fork me over the tuition or give me money for my books. I earned that, so I appreciated the degree I earned. Every single job I had, I earned. And when I went for a pay raise, I proved to my boss why I deserved that pay raise. But instead now, it's an automatic minimum wage of $15 an hour. No, prove to me you deserve that $15 an hour. Now you have in New York State, it is a right, an automatic right and mandatory paid vacation. Well, what happens if you've got a small business owner? And I was a small business owner. I couldn't afford to give our guys a paid vacation. They took the time off. You know, these, if you have a big company, when I worked for American Express, the company was large enough to give me health care benefits, uh, insurance, as well as paid vacation and paid sick leave. But you had to follow certain rules in order to earn them. And in today's society, the rules no longer apply. It's automatic. 
It's free. It's socialism into the American society. And this is something, folks, we got to put a foot down to. The rights that we have are enumerated in the Constitution. Enumerated in the Constitution. And beyond that, there are privileges. And that's the way. That's my, my preach for today. So again, folks, it's 917-889-3675. I will go on for about another 15 minutes, then I will end the show early. So feel free to call in. Give us a little bit of your opinion. And again, I want to welcome everyone that's in uh, the chat room over here on BTR, as well as um, on Facebook and uh, YouTube also. And I will be putting up the additional links to the Graham Report up on the other social media websites so people can get that, as well as a link to the Robert Mueller book, which I highly recommend. I'm, I'm telling you, there is a part two to come on that one. Mm. All right. Oh, yes. Here's another one of ours, our favorites. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. This is a gift that keeps on giving, guys. I mean, the best thing that could have happened to conservatives is having – this brain surgeon being elected to Congress, and God bless New York, Ay, only they can do it. They elect Bill de Blasio, uh, Cuomo, <laughs> junior and senior, only New York can do this. But Ocasio-Cortez, here she is, the person of the people who videotapes herself cooking in the kitchen. She is one of us guys. She really is. She's from one of the common people, despite the fact she was born to a privileged family and went to a privileged private school. Uh, her campaign has just got hammered. For what? For not providing workmen's compensation coverage. Here she is, the person of the worker, not giving them what is federal law, that is required by law, to cover her employees with workers' compensation coverage. So God bless this woman. God bless this woman. Uh, again, the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, oh, oh, and here's another one. Oh, this is just is too funny uh, to uh, even forget to talk about. My newly elected congressman. Now, Mark Sanford was my congressman. Katie Arrington beat him out in the primary, and unfortunately she lost in the general election uh, to Joe Cunningham. And Joe Cunningham has already proven to be a gift that keeps on giving. Oh, God bless the state of South Carolina. What are we going to do? We already have, I believe, six or seven people lining up on the Republican side that have registered. Uh, They want to be in the primary to challenge Joe Cunningham. But what does he do? He shows up for the first session of Congress, and he's trying to get into the first session of Congress, and he's smuggling in liquor. Now, that is prohibited. This is the people's house. You don't go to Congress with liquor how can you how can you soberly determine the issues on the floor of Congress and vote on bills soberly if you're bringing liquor in? But it's not just like say a six a, a flask or a bottle slipped in with his attaché case or something. It's nothing so subtle as that. You know, someone might have slipped a flask into his pocket or something like that. No, no, no. It's not something subtle. It's a freaking six pack of beer. How do you try to smuggle a six pack? No, it's not. Alcohol, you know, 90 grain wood alcohol or something like that. It's not a bottle of brandy. It's not a little flask of scotch. No, it's a six-pack of beer. <laughs> Come on, show yourself having some class. Oh, good Lord. I, I'm telling you, this new Congress is going to be the gift that keeps on giving, folks. Uh, it's going to be very interesting going into 2020. 
<laughs> so again, folks, uh, call into the show, 917-889-3675. I, it, it, sometimes you watch these people in Congress and in the uh, election uh, trail, and you just wonder, what are people really thinking? And that's the problem. We, we rely on social media. We rely on that 140 character uh, soundbite, that little tweet, that little Facebook post. And we, we say that, hey, this has got to be the truth because it's up on the Internet. No. Let's, let's go a little bit beyond that, folks. Let's do a little of our true homework here. Um, it's, I, just, I, I sometimes wonder, just wonder what people are thinking. Oh, here's another little uh, funny statistic. They did a survey uh, on Facebook. I forget what the name of the company was that just posted this survey. And they were complaining about all this fake news that was going up on Facebook and other social media websites and blaming it for influencing the past election, 2016 and 2018. Now, you got to remember, 2018 saw the House turn from Republican now over to majority Democrat. So this fake news was so influential on people that it actually prevented the Democrats from being elected is what they're claiming, and yet we can see that the House turned over. So this is what the survey found, though. The survey found that those that lean left were not the ones that were reading and reposting the fake news. No, the people that were posting, reposting the fake news to everyone else, get this, were ultra-conservatives and those that were 65 or 55 and older. So those older Americans and those that lead it to the extreme right. I don't mean fascist. That's not extreme right. That's extreme left, if you want to know the true meaning of fascism and socialism. But I'm saying extreme right, ultra conservatives. They're the ones that were reposting the fake news. <laughs> so we really influenced the elections to help Republicans, right? And yet the House turned Democrat because of all this fake news. Again, we have fake news leading fake news. Guys, you just can't get any better than this. So now we've got a new Democratic Congress, and there's a reason for this lead-in. And this was up on the Daily Caller by Alexander Hendry. And he's reporting that Congress has several new tax hikes in mind. Ah, yeah. These tax hikes could erase the current economic successes, he's writing, that the U.S. economy added 312,000 jobs in December alone, and wages increased by 3.2% over the past year. This is interesting because that meant people seeing a tax cut. If you're a family of four earning somewhere around $73,000, you see more than a two thousand dollar tax cut or a 58 percent reduction in federal taxes this is what has happened under the trump administration now in comes a democratic congress and changing the rules to make the tax hikes are easier they have already changed the rules uh, by abolishing three-fifths majority requirement to raise income taxes now before you needed three quarters of the house uh, three-fifths of the house I'm sorry, correct that, three-fifths of the House, to raise taxes. They changed that rule so a simple majority can now raise taxes. So no more control on that one. Uh, The change was proposed as part of uh, House Resolution Number 6, the rules package for the 116th 
Congress. Um, Republicans since 2011 had maintained the rule that required the bill increase federal income taxes to have support a three-fifths majority of Congress. Uh, the Democrats have rejected a proposal by the House Williams and Means uh, ranking met- member Kevin Brady of um, Texas, Republican out of Texas, to make permanent the $2,000 child tax credit up from 1000 and the 24000 standard deduction for families up from 12000 Both provisions overwhelmingly benefit middle-class families, you and me. The child tax credit is claimed by roughly 22 million American families, while doubling the standard deduction provided by take-home pay for more than 105 million families that claim the provision. Creating a 70% income tax rate is something else they're trying to do. This is by our friend, Democratic Congresswoman from the state of New York, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Top 70% federal income tax that would affect the top current 37% bracket. Now, if you remember, she was running for uh, Congress. She said her tax increase would only affect the first 1%. And then it's now increased to 37%. Hello, where have we seen that before? Oh, wait a minute. The constitutional amendment that has given us the federal income tax, the IRS. When they proposed that originally, they got the American people to pass that constitutional amendment by stating that the new federal income tax, the new constitutional amendment, will only affect the top 1% those million and billionaires. It's not going to ever go down to the upper class, the middle class, or you and me, the the regular American people. Everyday American people would never pay an income tax, a federal income tax. That's not the purpose of the amendment that gave us the income tax. And guess what, folks? The lips were moving. They lied. So now Ocasio-Cortez now saying that she originally said her 70% income tax would be the top 1%. She is now saying that 70% income tax would be the top 37%. And now all they have is a simple majority in the House to pass any new taxation. And it's going to be 70% income tax on you and me. See, they lied. Again, phone-in number is 917-889-3675. They are also already raising the corporate tax rate. Kentucky Democrat House Budget Chairman John Yarmuth has announced their proposal will increase the corporate income tax from 21 to 28%. Now, under Trump, the corporate income tax went down, and what did we see? an increase of jobs creation in December alone of 314,000. We're going to see that go right out the window. We're seeing an increase in disposable income going home. We're going to see that go right out the window because the higher the corporate income tax, the less they're going to have for pay raise, the less they're going to have for plant expansion, the less they're going to have for new hires. Here we go, folks. All right. And now they also want to revive individual mandate tax penalty. And this is from our buddy, 
Speaker Nancy Pelosi. She has called for replacement to the Obamacare individual mandate tax penalty that was repealed by the GOP. Now, based upon the official IRS data, 75% of families, that's 3.8 million filers in 2016, were impacted by the mandate, made less than 50000 a year. Folks, 50000 a year is not a lot. You're, you're just above the poverty rate in today's day and age. Now, these tax cuts have proven highly effective. Now you've got all these people earning 50000 wondering how the heck they're going to be paying their taxes. And all you need now is a simple majority in the House for new taxes. We're in for a bumpy ride for the next two years, folks. We are really in for a bumpy ride. So, guys, that's just about all I have for today. And um, if anyone else has anything, please feel free to post it up there. Uh, Oh, one last thing. This is something else, a gift that keeps on giving. Of course, we know CNN's ratings are rock bottom. They're doing anything and everything to try to get viewers back onto CNN. Al Sharpton's show, bottom. Uh, Rachel Maddow, bottomed out. So in order to try to revive their ratings, they've got an anti-Trumper, former Republican Governor John Kasich. Now, I say that with a little bitter taste in my mouth when I say Republican Governor John Kasich. He's about as Republican as, hmm. Anyway, he is going to be a CNN contributor. And, of course, he's already been on CNN and several other uh, mainstream media outlets such as MSNBC lately. And, of course, he's been shopping his talents around. He's claiming that he's putting his hat in for um, uh, 2020 for president. And uh, I heard someone mention he was a front runner for the Republican nomination. He's about as much as front runner for the Republican nomination as Mitt Romney is. And, of course, Mitt Romney has proven exactly what he is, a rhino. And also another anti-Trumper. Their stripes are finally showing because they have Trump derangement syndrome. They hate us. We, the deplorables. They can't stand that we speak to the truth. They can't stand that we're no longer buying their BS. And they can't stand that we're starting to see them exactly for what they are. And folks, let's keep on opening up their eyes. Let's keep on speaking to the truth. Let's keep on reposting those true stories out there. Things like we have with this Robert Mueller book. Uh, Things like we have uh, jihadi propagandists and other authors that I've had on this show. Let's get the truth out there. And they're going to keep on trying to shut us up. You know, Facebook has been doing that. They already limit me on how many people I can invite. And I had not had a show on for a couple of weeks since uh, December 4th or 7th was our last broadcast. And we will be back full-time February 1st. And we'll gear up. They will keep on trying to shoot us down. They will keep on shadow banning us. But we'll keep on being here and keep on speaking and letting you carry the banner forward for us. We can't do it alone. We need you. We need your help. And we need to get the word out. Now, I see we got some friends out there in the chat room, some people that have their own shows and old their own blog spots out there. So please feel free to post them out there. We've got our friend Sasquatch. He's got his blog spot. Uh, 
blog.com, I believe. We have Kel out there that has Red Fox Radio and Global Patriot Radio here on Blog Talk Radio. Getting the truth out there. Um, we've got Gary Kemper out there that gets the truth out there. Our friend Boyd want to thank all of you for getting the truth out there. And something has to be said, that something has to be done. And I thank you, and I am honored to have you here listening with us today. And Curtis will be back with us on February 1st, and we'll get back up and gear up for the full fight because we got ourselves a rocky two years here. Until then, I will say good night and God bless and leave you with our closing song. That's if I can find it. I mean, it's been a while since, uh, oh, here we go. <laughs> it's been a while since I've done this. So, you know, forgive me for screwing up. But anyway, that's what I get for having a co-host today. So until then, I will say good night and God bless. And we'll see you on February 1st. <laughs>